You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Let's pray. Father, there's no better way for us to start off a new year than by gathering together to worship you. Think about, I read this morning, Genesis 1. In the beginning was God. And so may our beginning of this year be filled with your presence. In our passage this morning, we see a lot of amazing qualities about your scriptures. Without the, the word of God, without your Bible, we'd need to gain our knowledge of you through creation, which you say we can. But from the early on, you've been the type of God who reveals yourself to a chosen people. And so thank you for the grace of showing us your character and your will. Now help us as we approach your word with reverence. May it provide life to us today. And I say with the the psalmist at the end of this psalm, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, in 2018, a friend of mine had just completed the Chicago Marathon. Marathon is running 26.2 miles, if you didn't know. He had just completed this, and he came back to work and for days and days and days told me about how freaking amazing it was running this marathon. You're like, running 26 miles sounds anything but amazing. And that was the same way I was, too. I was not considering myself a runner at that point. Uh, I had run one half marathon once. It was about nine years before that. I was a 23-year-old. Uh, some co-workers at the Best Buy I worked at got a group together. We're going to run the Kansas City half marathon. I was like, all right, I could do that. I'm 23. I didn't train a lick. And so I got out and I ran eight miles and I walked barely for five miles. And I finished like after old women pushing double strollers and stuff like that. Like it was embarrassing. And in fact, just a a couple years before my friend ran the Chicago Marathon, I ran a a Thanksgiving day, like turkey trot, 5K, three miles, you know. I ran that with my father-in-law, who many of you know. He's about 20 years my senior. And this old man beat me. And so that is just the bottom of my pit of physical like prowess. And I said, I'm never running again. But in 2018, my friend came with so much excitement and you know, stories of how fun this race was and the people watching. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And like a big dummy, I signed up for that, the Chicago Marathon. And it cost a lot of money to sign up for the Chicago Marathon. So I had to do it. And so for the next year, I trained. And I did it right. I mean, I did some training. I did some shorter races that like built up to the Chicago Marathon. And so I found myself there in October 2019 now. Uh, standing in a corral because at these huge races, there's 50,000 people running this race. 
And so they got to group you together so, you know, slow people aren't in front of fast people. So I'm in, you know, corral like Z with all the other fat cows. And uh, I'm there with my, my friend's wife, who he had also convinced her to run. And we're talking about our goals for running. So I had a goal. She had a goal. But in our conversation came to light that, that she was only going to ever do this one time because she had found out like her hips are misaligned and it's just too painful to do long distance running. So she's going to do this one, but she's never going to run again. So I decided then and there, I was like, listen, I think I, think I actually kind of like running and I might do this again. So screw my goal. I'm going to make sure she hits her goal. So I ran with her. I was like, listen, if you run with me, I guarantee we will beat your goal. And we did. I got a photo of us at the finish line. This is me and Bree Taylor. We got our medals and we finished our goal 45 minutes ahead of what she thought she could do it in. Uh, I ran with her the whole way, crossing the finish line. I had her phone and we're FaceTiming her kids. Like we're both in tears and I let her finish one second ahead of me. Um, So in this process of training for a marathon, I had this goal, but in the process, this actually became a a, a thing that I love. I love to run. Uh, (laughs) And so this habit in, I, that I've developed in training has become something that I've continued on a, a few years later. But for my friend, she had a goal, but she was only able to, and she completed that goal, like bravo to her. She's only able to do that one time in her life. Her physical health prevented her from continuing it. Now, as we begin a new year, you may be setting yourself some goals as well. A recent poll in the fall asked people what they thought their New Year's resolutions would be for 2023. And I don't think you'll be surprised by the top five. Number one was to exercise more. Number two is eat healthier. Number three is lose weight, which you'll do if you do both of those top two things. Number four is save money, which you probably won't do if you do exercise more because you got to buy equipment. Number five is spend more time with family and friends, which you'll only do if you exercise with the family and friends. Um... I doubt you're surprised by these because I'd be willing to guess that many of us at some point in our lives have set very similar resolutions, either this year or in years past, maybe both. And some of you will set these goals and actually hit them. And like, dude, I'm proud of you guys for hitting the goals. Many more of us will lose steam and have forgotten about our resolutions before the flowers bloom in April or May. Now, resolutions or something that we struggle with. And this is not a new concept. People have been saying for years that resolutions are not the most healthy way to make a change in your life. We set the bar too high. We don't have a solid strategy for how to get there, and we don't have plans for this to be a lifetime, life-changing thing. It's a one-time season of our life. It reminds me of the TV show The Office. There's an episode in there where Pam wants to make a resolution board and get everyone excited about the resolutions and it's a disaster. But my favorite resolution from that is one that we actually probably can attain. Kelly Kapoor has a resolution. It is to get more attention by any means necessary. And I feel like that's that's more attainable for us than run a marathon. Uh, But what experts like Charles Duhigg and Justin Early tell us is that unlike resolutions, we can actually become our habits. So even if you accomplish your resolution, there may be no lasting impact. You may set a goal to run a marathon this year and you might accomplish that goal. And then you may never run again a day in your life. 
Now, some goals certainly can be one-time achievements. Like, that's fine. You don't have to always be becoming something life-changing in everything that you do. But this poll shows us that our society views ourselves as bad with our health, with our money, with our relationships. These are all aspects of our life that deserve a lifetime, life-changing habit rather than a one-time resolution. Now, as we know from our intentional spiritual formation paradigm that we use a lot here, we actually also have a, the, the anti-intentional, it's the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm. You can see there uh, on the bottom left, one of the components of being, being formed spiritually is habits. These are things that we just fall into. Like you have a habit of maybe you get up in the morning and you make coffee and do this and do this. And that's not forming you necessarily spiritually, but we have these habits. And we say that the intentional spiritual formation to, to be the combatant to our habits, which we most naturally just fall into, is practices. And all a practice really is is a, an intentional habit that we're developing. And when we say practices, we're talking about spiritual practices. But these are intentional habits that we're trying to develop. So we have these bad habits that we fall into. The question is, what are your bad habits? To compare with our top resolutions that rather than exercising, we may fall into the habit of being a couch potato. Rather than eating healthy, we eat easy fast food, which I'm obviously guilty of. Rather than saving money, we impulse buy things that we don't need and rack up debt we can't pay. Rather than spending quality time with friends, we spend quality time with our glass screens. So the question is, how do we replace these bad habits with good habits? In order to do so, we have to know how do habits even work. And there's been a lot of work over this over the past uh, century or so. This goes all the way back to a psychologist who maybe you heard about in school and then completely forgot about until this morning, B.F. Skinner, if you've ever heard his name. He did a lot of research into these habits. Now, his language is all hard and weird for us to understand, which is why you forgot about him. But a guy with an appropriate name, James Clear, in his book, Atomic Habits, took what Skinner did and made it more clear. Okay, I thought it was funny. Uh, he made it clear and memorable. And essentially, all of our habits, whether intentional or not, have these four stages that you can see here. So we start with a cue. A cue is just something that you, you see, you hear, you feel, you smell, like you remember something. There's a cue that happens. And then from that, you have this internal craving. Something happens, like your phone buzzes. You feel it. In the first service, I was up here and my watch buzzed. That's the cue. My craving is, I need to see what that message is. Now, because I'm up here on the stage, I can't really just do that and start reading a text message. So I just like acknowledged it, made it go away. So it doesn't keep buzzing me. But you might get a cue of a, a phone buzzing and your craving is, I need to see what that is. And it can be for various different reasons. Like maybe you're expecting something. Maybe you're the type of person who can't allow a message to go unread because that's the right way to be. And if, if not, you're the person who has like a hundred unread text messages. That's the wrong person to be. Um, but you have this craving and then you do something. And this is the response. The response is just the action that you take. So phone buzzes, I need to check my phone. You pull it out to see what the message is. And then that is followed by a reward. And that's why we do everything that we do because there's some type of reward that comes from it. So on your phone, you get the reward of seeing what it is, of 
having the approval of, I didn't leave Sean on like unread messages. You know, I answered his message in an appropriate time. I have his approval that I'm the type of person he can text and I'll get back to him quickly. We have some type of reward that kind of causes a dopamine hit from that. For me, a lot of times it is a craving for cookies. So I get a cue, my stomach rumbles. I get a craving, I want a cookie. The response is, I wait until Sarah's out of the room and I go to the cupboard and I get cookies. And the reward is the sugar high that you get from eating 17 Oreos. I'm kidding, I never, I won't say never, but I don't normally do that. But this is how our habits work. Cue, craving, response, reward, or as James Clear also says, which I learned after the first service is apparently a Ariana Grande reference. I see it, I want it, I take it, I got it. I did not know that was Ariana Grande, by the way. I see it, I want it, I take it, I got it. That's how habits work. Now, I, I fear running through a list of potential habits that you have for fear that my cue would create a craving in you that would make you completely zone out because I doubt many of you are like super craving Chris Collier's sermon right now. So we're just gonna move past this. But this is how habits work. And so with the, the time that we have remaining, I want us to quickly look at Psalm 19 and learn from the psalmist about the rewards of Scripture because I believe in 2023, this is a habit that you need to develop. Not a resolution, not a say like, I'm gonna do it, but a, a habit, which means you have to develop the, the, the daily process of having a cue and knowing what the rewards are. So that's what we're gonna get into is what are the rewards so that we work ourselves back to the cue and the craving and the response. So to start Psalm 19, it begins with a beautiful poem, which we didn't read at the first, but I think it's very important for us to start here. It says in verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Now they have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them. And yet their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul picks up on the same theme himself when he's talking about how we, we can gain a knowledge of God just through creation in Romans 1. And Sally Lloyd-Jones in the very first chapter of her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, uses the same psalm to begin her book um, to teach kids about the Bible. We, we read this just a couple nights ago with our boys, and I was just like, it's just one of the most moving parts of this entire book, and I'm going to read it. It's a little lengthy, but it says, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he's like, to help us to know him, to make our hearts sing. And God put it into words too and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should do and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. Bible does have some heroes in it. But most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. 
They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, to rescue the one he loves. This psalm tells us that if we were simply able to be aware of the creation around us, we would see God's handiwork. We'd see his character throughout all of creation. You sense that when you're in like a jaw-dropping, beautiful place. Like if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it's, it's so vast, it doesn't even look real. And you're like, man, there's a God who's this big. Maybe you've been to the beach and you see the waves coming in time after time, after time, after time, after time, and you think about the God who's so powerful to move the oceans. But that same God, that same amazing creator God has amazing things right here around us here in Paracult too. And not only that, not only can we find his character in our creation, but we're blind to this. And so God has also revealed himself explicitly and compiled it into a book that we all have here called the Bible. It's accessible to us so easily that we forget about it. So let's jump into the verses that we read before this morning. And verses seven to eight, we're gonna see four statements that form this like uniform pattern and they provide for us a basis of the rewards of scripture. And I keep using this phrase rewards because if you jump down in verse 11, you'll see that David says this about uh, following the law of God. He says, by them, by the law, by the word, by your scriptures, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, There's a great reward. So the psalmist, as he works his way through these couple of verses, he uses a different word, each line, to describe the word of God. He calls it the law, or statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees, the ordinances. Like even some different translations use different words to describe these. And these are basically just different words that are all very similar and yet distinct to tell us about the revelation of God to his people. And then he then describes these four various phrases, which all in essence say that God is good, that his word is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right and radiant, it's pure and eternal, it's firm and it's righteous. David's experience is that this type of book is the type of book that you can actually base your life on. But I feel like for many of us, it's more decoration. Maybe it's a dust collector in your house. Maybe it's actually a a source of guilt because you feel like I got to earn God's favor by reading it and I never do. David's view of scripture can seem like that New Year's resolution promise that is too good to be true when you hear about it. And yet it is true. God's mercy and grace, his wisdom and love and his joy is all true. So then, David moves on to show us that if you trust the words of this book, there are certain rewards, certain ways in which you can benefit by growing in a relationship with the God of this Bible. And Paul agrees about the rewards when he says to Timothy in his second letter to him, he says, from infancy, you have known about the Holy Scriptures, 
And he only knew the Old Testament, by the way. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's run through these four lists uh, quickly. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The ESV translates refreshing actually as reviving. And the image here is the psalmist is trying to paint for us is that without the word of God, you are dead. You're dead in your sin. Without the word of God and knowledge of his mercy and grace and his pursuing of us, we are all still stuck in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned against God and he says that the penalty of sin is death. This is the same image that David uh, paints for us in Psalm 23 when he says that God leads me beside still waters. He refreshes or revives my soul. And imagine this too. David is saying this about the word of God, which at this point is only the first six or seven books of the Bible because the rest didn't exist yet. You, you might spend your days camped out in the New Testament because it feels better for you. But like David is saying this about Leviticus, a book of the Bible that you might avoid or try to read as quickly as possible. How? Why? Because it is the revelation of the creator, holy God, because it shows us that this holy God desires to provide a path back to him through grace and mercy. One commentary even said that this image of reviving my soul is also implying a call for you to repent. That if God's gonna revive your soul, you have a response in repentance in that as well. He then moves on, David does, and says that the statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In essence, he says that without instruction from the Lord, without direction from him, without revelation of how this world actually works, we would live our lives aimlessly. And and the commentaries say that this simplicity, this simple, is like a childhood simplicity. Like, don't understand how life really works. Like, you're alive, but you don't really understand how the world really works. It's like my five-year-old. Recently, we were at the store and he wanted to, we were buying some things and there was a couple things for him. So I gave him a $10 bill so he could pay for his stuff. And so he gives the lady a $10 bill. She gives him back like $2 and some change. And he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. I got candy and cookies. I gave her one money and she gave me back two monies. Like if this is how economy works, I'm all in. He's simple. Like he doesn't understand how money works. He has no idea the $10 bill is more valuable than two $1 bills. He's just like, I got two now. And I got coins and coins are more cool than paper. We don't understand how the world works without the word of God, really. And so what he's saying is the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy and they bring wisdom to us. He then says that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. We live in a society of anxiety and depression. We live in a society where joy may be elusive. And yet David here is saying that the pathway to a joy-filled life is found in following the laws of God. The opposite of this is following the laws of your heart, which Jeremiah in the Old Testament tells us is deceitful above all other things. When we pursue the desires of our hearts, and when others pursue the desires of their hearts. If that's all life was, we know what that looks like because it looks exactly like what the life was before God flooded the earth and saved Noah and his family. He says in 
Genesis 6, I think it is. Uh, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. This did not land in the first service. So hopefully you guys are Friends fans. Uh, this is like Monica Geller in Friends. Hopefully you identify. One time there was a counselor who asked me what character from Friends I identify with. And I was like, Chandler, of course, he's funny. And he was like, has anyone ever said you're Monica? And I was like, thanks. Anyway, uh, Monica Geller, and they're about to play a board game. And everyone like, has their own rules. And she's like, no, 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 this is how you play. These are the rules. The rules can help control the fun. You guys don't laugh either. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the opposite of God's law, the opposite of God's rules, like the way life works, not just because, because this is the way life works. The opposite of that is the law of our own heart, and that is sin. Sin leads to death. And God's law, his word, his life, is the only thing that leads us to a joyous life. The next reward of Scripture is that the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They bring life. Uh, very recently, the couple of weeks before Christmas, I accidentally scratched my eye somehow, and then it got infected, and then it eventually went full-blown pink eye. Uh, it was gross, and I'm sorry if you had to see it. Uh, but early on in this, before it went full-blown pink eye, and it was just like weird, uh, we were sitting at dinner one night and Sarah looks across the table at me and she's like, ah, it's like there's no light in your eyes. It's like you're dead. I'm like, thank you. You look pretty too. Um, <laughs> it's so creepy. Um, with my eye infected at times too, like my vision was a little blurry out of one of my eyes. But with the word of God, when it enters you, the light can come on in your eyes. There can be life that comes to your life. You can come to life and see the world around you so much more clearly when the word of God is in your heart. Tim Chalice in his book, Visual Theology, works through this passage and essentially says that the word of God does six things for you. The Bible makes you alive. The Bible makes you wise. The Bible makes you joyful. The Bible helps you see clearly. The Bible makes you pure. And the Bible makes you godly. As you think about what makes a habit, you get the cue, craving, response, reward. Are these the types of things, the rewards that you crave? Because I think that they are. I think that you want joy. I think you want wisdom. I think you want purity. But we so often settle for some imitation version of all of these things. And the message of the Bible is that God is the only true source of life, of wisdom, of joy, and that he freely gives this away to those who pursue him, who will follow him, who will love him. And I can say that from my own experience. When I've had a year where I've like been more diligent and more dedicated to reading Scripture, Seems like for me, it's like every other year, I'll do a read the Bible through the year and a plan. Those years where I'm reading through the Bible, like really, really diligently and faithfully, my life, it seems like the chaos of my life becomes so much more calm. 
It's not a magic bullet. It's not to say I didn't have hurt or pain or suffering in those times, but there's something about being tethered to the Word of God daily that made the chaos seem like less of a a burden, took away anxiety, because I knew that this God was in control of my life. So what do you need to do? This is my encouragement for you, by the way, is in 2023, as we start the year off, devote yourself to reading God's Word. I don't know what you're like in reading God's Word, if it's like, I, you know, I read God's Word when we do it here on Sunday, if you're really diligent about it, but devote yourself to reading God's Word this year. Not a reading resolution that you might do, but probably fail at, but set a habit for yourself. Think about, James Clear says that it's so much more important to think about the, the starting line than it is the finish line. If I said, hey, all of us are going to get out and run a marathon today, most of us would not be able to complete it, myself included. But if I said, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to walk 100 yards, we're going to start somewhere, we'd be able to do that. Um, So what are the tips, the recommendations I have for you for developing a scripture reading habit? First, let's revisit the major components of what a habit even is. So when you're building a new habit like this, you got the cue, the craving, the response, the reward. A, you need to desire that reward and know that the reward is found ultimately in Scripture. And B, what the experts tell us is that in order for you to really develop a new habit out of nowhere is you need to make the cue as obvious as possible. So the opposite of this, if you're trying to get rid of a bad habit, is you make the cue uh, as hard to see as possible. So for me, we'll revisit cookies again. If I need to stop eating cookies, we need to just not have them in the house. That's what we need to do. Or at least I got to like go to Sarah and ask her to open, you know, a locked chest box in order to get an Oreo out. Like I got to make it out of the way so I don't come across it. But to make, to develop a new habit, you need to make it obvious. This is the way it is with everything, with healthy eating, with exercise, with scripture reading. Put the word of God in a place where you're going to come across it naturally all the time. Set your schedule, set an alarm, give yourself the cue and then you have to remind yourself the craving that you're, you're looking for in all these artificial things can only be ultimately satisfied through God and through his word. Second, I recommend you do set a goal. Resolutions are easy for us to give up on, but as you focus on a day-to-day process of developing a habit, you can find yourself hitting a goal. I guess that now I consider myself a runner. I mean, I went on a, a race Yesterday, I got a trophy for a third place in my age and gender out of three. Thank you. I came in 10th overall too, though. I'm just going to say that. But um, I've done a lot of races since I became first interested in this sport. I even watched the New York City Marathon on TV a few months ago. Like I've become weirdly obsessed with running. But still, when I have a goal ahead of me, I focus better, I run more consistently, and, and, and I'm, like, I'm out doing what I need to do running in order to hit my goals. So even as a guy who likes to run, I still got to sign up for a race to go, yeah, I got to do this. So I signed up for uh, the Cape Girardeau 
uh, run that's in April so that I don't just sit on my couch all of the winter. Like I gotta get out and run even though it's cold because I got a half marathon coming. Many people like to do something like read the Bible in a year. And this is a great thing. If you've never read the Bible, if you've never read every book of the Bible, like I recommend you do that. It is God's word, every single word of it. There are a lot of reading plans out there at your disposal. Your Bible may even have some in the back of it or something. I've done a lot of different ones. And here's the thing. Some of them fit with your personality more than others. So just know that if you've tried it and you're like, no, nope, didn't work, can't, can't do that, don't like that, try a different one. A different strategy might work better for you. I've done one where it was like 10 chapters and 10 different books of the Bible, and that was just like too chopped up for me. I couldn't do it. Uh, but maybe that works for you. Uh, there was one through the Read Scripture app, through the Bible Project guys, which is amazing because it has videos along the way to help explain some things for you. If you're like, I don't understand the Bible, great. I highly recommend Bible Project and Read Scripture app to do your Bible reading plan because they help make it so much more alive. Um, I did one uh, called Bible Eater a couple years ago where I had to read certain books, but then certain books I had to read in one sitting. And they chose some big books for those one sittings, like Isaiah, which is a lot of chapters. Um, This year, I'm doing one that is the least creatively named Bible reading plan of all time. It's called the five-day Bible reading plan. I recommend it for you. It looks great. It's kind of chronological. We're doing Old Testament and New Testament and a psalm every other day. And like for me this morning, I started it because it's the first. And it just like confirmed to me for some reason like this is God's plan for me this year because it doesn't do the psalms in order. So I didn't do Psalm 1. I did Psalm 19, which is our passage this morning. And I did not realize that that was the psalm on January 1st. Uh, when I picked out this Bible reading plan. So um, get yourself a plan. Um, And if you're not ready to commit to a Bible in the full year, read a book of the Bible. Read the Gospels. Like start somewhere. Again, the starting line is more important than the finish line. Start somewhere because I want to encourage you to have a habit of reading Scripture daily. Thirdly, I recommend that you do this in community as much as possible. It doesn't have to be the exact same reading plan that you're doing with someone else, but it can be helpful. But if you know that you and someone in your MC or your DNA are also reading scripture together, like having the support of another person to be able to check in with one another is invaluable. In, the, in 2021, when I did that Bible eater reading plan, I did it at the same time as my father-in-law. So we read that together. And half of that time I lived in Kansas City. So like we didn't like see each other all that time. Um, like every week or anything like that to check in with one another. But when we did, we'd see how it was going. We'd be at, at different points because we'd get behind or ahead and all this stuff. But it was really fun to be able to talk to someone else about like, man, I was reading Hosea and I'd never really noticed this thing before about Hosea or something. And this is the same way it is with me even in running. Like I said, I now consider myself a runner. I'm perfectly mediocre because there's people way faster than me and there's people slower than me. So I'm right in the middle enough to get third place out of three. But I run so much better when I have a goal, like I said, and with community. So I've got a group of guys here in Paragold that I met just through running. And we meet up a couple days a week, maybe three days a week, and we'll run together. Um, And you gotta be committed because we meet at the caboose at 5 a.m. in the morning. And boy, let me tell you, that's sleepy. Um, But running in community gives me so much more accountability and joy in my running. It's the same way in scripture reading. 
Now remember that the reason that I've suggested this as a 2023 goal is that David tells us that God's scripture revives our soul. It brings us from death to life. It gives us wisdom and joy. And we're reminded at the conclusion of this psalm that we're filled with flaws, man. You must hear that your acceptance by God is not found in being a faithful, diligent reader of his Bible. He's not going to say, oh, look, you did it this year. I love you this year now. Jesus accused the Pharisees who spent all their days devoted to studying scriptures, to teaching scriptures. He accused them of not understanding God. So you can even be the person up here on the stage preaching about the, the, the scriptures, and that is not what brings acceptance before God. This act of reading scripture does produce rewards, but only one thing can produce salvation. And that's in John 1, the, the uh, gospel writer very poetically reveals Jesus to us in this way. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with the God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Imagine that. The world did not recognize its own creator. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but, or of uh, husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That is the basis of our salvation. Our acceptance before God, the father, is in Jesus alone. Psalm 19 ends with a beautiful benediction that I said in my prayer earlier. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my salvation. And this language of being acceptable in his sight is a direct reference to the sacrificial system that we see throughout the Old Testament to atone for the sins of the people. And then David knew that ultimately it was not the blood of, of goats and bulls and birds and all this stuff that would take away the sins. Because one day, many hundreds of years later, an infant would be born into his family line. This infant that we celebrate at Christmas time did not stay a baby. He didn't stay in the manger. He grew up to become a man. He taught us and he showed us what God is like. And then he died a horrific death on a cross in order to make, to be a sacrifice that is acceptable in the sight of the Lord because Jesus is our rock and our salvation.